Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. I have been on the receiving end of generosity so many times, it's actually impossible to list all of them. Um, whether it's people shouting me lunch or dinner or people driving me around. Fun fact, uh, I only got my license in November last year. Which means until then, I was bumming lifts off of people for two years. Now, I can't even believe how many people in this congregation have actually been in the driver's seat as they've driven me to dinners, to meetings, to church, and it's uh, actually phenomenal how much time people are willing to take just to be generous and give me uh, an opportunity to go somewhere that doesn't take me like 45 minutes via bus or cost me $50 via an Uber. But I often think what caused some of these people, which some, some people at the time I didn't know at all. In fact, the first time I met Josh, uh, he drove me to church. That was my first time ever meeting him and he drove me straight to church. So what, what causes these people to give up 10 to 15 minutes of their time just to take me where I want to go? What caused them to give up time that they could spend with family, could spend with friends, could spend relaxing, maybe watching a whole Netflix show? I actually believe that it comes down to the heart of generosity, which is what I'm going to be speaking about today. And this morning, we're going to look at this heart of generosity through two different lenses, and those lenses are the two Bible passages we talked about this morning. So let's dive right in. Um, this first passage, um, Jesus sees the offering of the rich, and he sees the offering of the poor widow, and commends the widow for her giving. The actual monetary of, value of this, um, of her giving, of the two small copper coins, was about 12 minutes worth of work. Now, thankfully, I've done the math, and the minimum, if you're working a minimum wage job, 12 minutes worth of work is $4. Now, if you're giving $4 to the church, that is one coffee meeting, and it's a small coffee meeting, and you're only buying yourself coffee. <laughs> On the other hand, the rich people who gave out of their wealth, let's just say they gave 10% of their well-paying jobs, like good law-abiding Jewish men, and let's just say they earn $1,923 a week. It's just a number I came up with. It's, it's about $100,000 a year. And maybe they felt like being generous, so instead of giving $123, uh, no, $192.30, they decided to give $200, just to show off a little bit. With that money, you could have all of the coffee meetings you wanted during the week, and still have money left over to go out for some fancy dinners, and then still have money left over to do stuff with. So why does Jesus say that she put in more money than all the others? Like, it's, it's everything she had, right? But it's actually, it's not really more. Like, I can't do more with $4 than with $200, right? It's because Jesus doesn't talk in financial terms here. He's actually talking about how God values our giving. He's not interested in the amount of money that was given, but the amount of sacrifice that was involved in the giving. I actually think I could live really comfortably on $1,723 a week. Uh, I live on significantly less than that a week. Um, but I'm, if I lose $200 of the money that I get every week, um, like I'm, I'm still living a pretty crazy life. 
On the other hand, the widow gave everything she had. She trusted that in her poverty that God would provide for her needs because she had nothing. She gives these two small copper coins, zilch, nothing. Nothing to live on, nothing to pay rent, nothing to put petrol in her car, absolutely nothing. She trusted that God would provide. And we know nothing about this widow in this passage except... We know her her faith because we can see that in this passage, her devotion was God was great and her trust in God was great. And we know so much about her faith simply by how she gave. And Jesus talks more about money than both prayer and faith combined in the whole of the New Testament. In fact, 12 of his 38 parables are focused on money. And it's because he cares what we do with our money. And it's not because he needs our money. God's still going to be God even if we don't give money to him. But he sees and he cares because he knows that money is so easily an idol in our lives. It's so easily something that we can go, I'll trust in this instead of trusting in God. And we know that we read of a rich young man in Matthew 19, verses 16 to 26, who seeks the kingdom of heaven by his merits, and Jesus calls him to give up his wealth. And he rejects the kingdom of God in favor of the earthly comfort of wealth. When we give generously, we're reminded that What we serve is God and not our finances. The sacrifice in our giving humbles us and it realigns our relationship with God and it actually reflects his heart of generosity. And in this second passage, we're reading about Paul teaching another church how they should give. Uh, It's only part of the whole teaching that he has. The whole teaching is across 2 Corinthians chapters uh, 8 and 9. Um, It's kind of really long and not really suitable for me to teach on uh, the whole thing today, unless you want me to talk for an hour and a half. I would strongly encourage you to read the whole thing, though, um, because it's just got so many good things, and I'm going to be referencing parts of um, chapter 9 in this as well, because it's just too good not to. Um, but the actual context of this is Paul's writing to the church in Corinth to ask them for money for the church in Jerusalem, who was poor, persecuted, and desperately needed their support. We read of the generosity of the churches in Macedonia, which gave out of their poverty, not out of their richness. They gave as much as they were and more than they were able to for the mission to God, which again is a parallel to the widow in the previous passage. She could have kept one of the coins. She could have bought, you know, one of those cheeky new burgers at Hungry Jack's with the five slices of ham and two pieces of meat. Uh, So healthy. (laughs) Paul didn't ask the church for money. They were actually pleading with him to take the money. They were pleading, please, please let us have the privilege to give to your mission. Can you imagine pleading with someone to let them give you money? If I said to, uh, let's just say Cooper, hey, can I please give you $20? He would say, yeah, sure, give me $20, no problem. They saw the opportunity to give as a privilege and a blessing because it allowed them to show the grace of God that was stored in their hearts. And Paul considers this willingness and opportunity a gift of the grace of God. And I actually want to share with you a quote from um, Alan Redpath. Once you see the matter of giving is centred in this lovely word grace, it lifts the whole act away from mechanics, from pressure and duty, from obligation and mere legalism. It lifts us up into the most lovely atmosphere of an activity which seeks by giving to convey to others all that is lovely, all that is beautiful, all that is good, and all that is glorious. What a lovely word this word is. For there is no area in the Christian life in which grace shines out so much so beautifully, so delightfully, and so happily 
That's when giving comes from the background of poverty. We see the working of the grace of God in our hearts when we're compelled to give. And the generosity of our hearts are aligned with the generous heart of Jesus. Generosity is a gift of the grace we've been given freely by Jesus that we can't help but show. Paul knows the church's desire to be generous, and so he calls for their eager willingness to give to other churches according to their means. Not out of compulsion, but in response to the love of God that abides in their heart. The Macedonian church's giving wasn't special because they were wealthy. We just read that they were in extreme poverty. Their giving was special because they gave themselves to God first and then trusted where that money was going. So practically, Jacob, all right, practically though, right, how much should I give and where should I give it, right? This is what the real sermon's all about, okay? Surely that's what it's about. Um, not really, that's not what it's really about. Um, but 2 Corinthians chapters, uh, chapter 9, verses 6, um, is Paul speaking directly into our hearts around his generosity because where we invest sparingly, we will reap sparingly. And when we invest in the kingdom of God, our reward comes from the kingdom of God. And when we invest in our relationship with Jesus, our reward comes from our relationship with Jesus. I'm not talking about a financial reward. I'm actually talking about where our treasure is stored. When we invest in the kingdom of God, our reward is eternal. We read in, again, in Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 to 20, the dangers of investing into the world heavily while investing sparingly into the kingdom of heaven. This, this rich young man isn't saying, hey, how can I invest heavily into the kingdom of heaven? He's saying, look, I've followed all the rules. I've done everything you've asked me to. Am I allowed in heaven yet? What else do I have to do? And God says, give up your comfort. And he chooses to not to. If you hear nothing else from this message today, what I want you to hear is that give yourself to God first. Focus on your relationship with God first. And then out of the overflow of that relationship, pray about how much you should give. Pray about what you should give. Pray about where you should give it. This is the example Paul is actually urging the Corinthian church to follow, that as they give themselves to God, to also give, them, give their God-given resources to God. My personal answer to this question, how much should I give, where should I give it, what do you, how much money do you want from me, is um, I don't know, because the teaching around the whole Bible is different for every single person. Paul here, though, says give according to what you have, and we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 to 4, that it should be regular, it should be planned, it should be proportional, and it should be private. In other words, budget your giving when you get paid, and don't advertise how much you're giving. Maybe a helpful guideline or principle is tithing. Uh, at Encounter Church, we follow the principle of tithing because it is a helpful principle. It's 10% of your income, but it's just, it, it is really, really broad. Um, for some people, 10% is going to be exactly the right amount. And for other people, it's not enough money. And for more people, it's just too much money. It's a principle and it's not a rule, but practically, percentage is super, super helpful for giving. Because then you're giving a set amount, it's a set sacrifice that you're putting aside and saying, this is how much I give to God. But the goal in this giving is not to leave us destitute. It's not to leave us poor, it's not to leave us going, I gave everything I have and now I have nothing, so I can't give anymore. It's to display the generous heart of Jesus and the love of God abiding within us. Paul asked the church that in their material plenty, if they would provide for the material need of the church in Jerusalem, 
And I, I, I thought of our giving we did last year for the Java Project, for Compassion, for the Prison Schools Ministry Group. We were so generous with our material plenty. And I know that as Paul boasts of the grace of God that has been given to the Macedonian churches, Mike and Jen boast about the generosity of this church and the grace that God has given this church. So as we're approaching Mission Month, as we're approaching Serve Day, as we're approaching this whole For the City Month, let's be generous, not just in our financial giving, but in our service to others, because the heart of generosity isn't just money. It's so much more than that. It's how it's... It's, it's just serving others by any means that we can, whether it's spending time with someone who's had a bad week, offering to drive someone to go and do errands, or cooking a meal for someone who just needs a break. A generous heart wants to serve Jesus, and so it looks to serve others like Jesus. Jesus looks at our sacrifice, our faith, and our love, and measures the service that we give off of those things. Not off of what you do, but why you continue to do it. Just as he looked at the widow and judged her giving as more than all the rest, he looks at our giving and he judges our giving off of those merits. While I was um, writing this message, uh, my heart in generosity was challenged. I actually had a totally different message planned at the beginning of the week. Totally different. Not at all even close to the same. Different Bible verses, everything. And I got stopped by Mike and he was like, what are you preaching here? And what I was preaching was earn your salvation. Give so that you can earn what you have in heaven. And that's not the gospel um, because my motives were giving were centered around offering all I had to repay this unrepayable debt that I owe to God. And that's what I wanted to preach from platform. But, but 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 reminds me to keep asking God to renew a spirit of generosity in me. It's a heart that chases Jesus, a personal relationship with him. And out of that heart, I'll find true generosity because it's not envious of the blessing of others. It doesn't demand more from the people around them. It isn't trying to earn its way into heaven. It humbly sits at the feet of God and asks, Lord, what can I give you today? Not tomorrow, not yesterday, today. A generous heart trusts that even when we're asked to be generous beyond our means, God will still provide for our needs and he will provide for our every need because he did it when he was here on earth. Jesus was generous, not just on the cross, but with everything he had. When he saw suffering, his response was to enter into it with them. When he saw hungry people, he fed them. When he saw people doing wrong to others, he rebuked them. When he saw the sick people, he healed them. When he saw the cross before him, he bowed humbly before the will of God. And he died for you and me. And verse 9 is of, of, of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is just absolutely phenomenal. And it's going to be on the screen behind me. For you know the grace, the giving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that though, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. So that through his poverty might you become rich. He became worldly poor and shared with us in our poverty so that we could become heavenly rich and share in his heavenly riches. We become co-heirs with Christ. Jesus' sacrifice to live as we do and die as our sin deserved has changed our story from death to life. The giving grace of Jesus and the generous heart of Jesus fully on display for all to see on the cross as a pathway that points directly to God.
And his generosity in his death and sacrifice isn't this debt we have to pay back. It's actually an example for us to follow because he saw the real need of others and he met that need as he was able to. Our generous hearts are most on display when we give to those who have no means to repay us. And I have absolutely no means and I have absolutely no way to repay the generosity that I've been given in my entire life. And I can't even begin to think about the kind of burden it would be to try and pay back all of this generosity that I've received. What I can do, though, is follow their example and be generous in everything I have. And our response to the generosity of Jesus is simply the same. We can never hope to pay back everything God's given us. We can't outgive God. We can't outgenerous God. But we can follow his example and show that same generous heart to people around us. We can always strive to be more generous. But ultimately, a generous heart is a gift from God for others. I know that this topic can actually be a really hard one to listen to um, because there are people who have been generous and have been burned by their generosity, people who have given out of their plenty or out of their little and then had people turn around and ask for more. And it can feel like the church today is, is demanding or begging for your money. Maybe it feels like all the time people are demanding and begging for your money. And if that's how you feel today, then don't give to the church. Don't give any money. Uh, Because God actually cares about your heart in giving more than what you give. And so if you're feeling like I'm being demanded of, it's it's my job to and duty to pay for the church to do things, don't give to the church. Because God loves a generous giver. And he loves a generous heart, but he loves a willing and cheerful giver. And I know that he would prefer you not to give than feel like you have to give. My encouragement, though, would be to pray earnestly to God. And pray, God, what are you calling me to give? Where are you calling me to give? How much are you calling me to give? Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.